You are listening to the Fresh Take Network. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, all you wonderful F1 fans out there in the F1 universe. And from wherever you're listening to, whether it's at work or it's at home, if you're hearing my voice, that can only mean two things. At one, my name is Kelsey, and two, you have tuned in into the newest episode of F101. Well, we're starting this episode off with a very interesting hot topic, one that has been in the rumor mill for quite some time, one that makes some teams happy, one that definitely makes some teams very, very unhappy for financial and for competition reasons. But we're going to start off with the FIA announcing that they are now accepting essentially applications for new teams to come into F1. So now these are called uh, letters of interest. So what this means is that if you've got a corporation, if you've got to have a company, that wants to be in F1, you have to go through essentially an application process. You have to show proof that you have the money to be in Formula One. You have to show the proof that you have the facilities to either build your own car or have an engine supplier, something of that sort. You also have to prove that you have the infrastructure to properly run an F1 team. I'm talking about team principal. I'm talking about engineers, CEOs, Everything all the way down to the guys that polish the helmets for the engineers and the guys that polish the helmet for the drivers. You also have to prove that you've got the money to actually be in F1, not just run the team, but to have essentially $200 million to even out the prize pool for the rest of the teams. Not only that, now here's the biggest stickler, not only that, but you also have to convince not only the FIA, but you also have to convince the other 10 teams in Formula One that you are good for the sport, that you're not just going to be around for one, two, or three seasons just to try to make a name for yourself and essentially not contribute to the value of the product and that you will contribute to the quality of racing and that you're not just going to be a flash in the pan and then you're gone. This has happened in the Formula One uh, over the years. Some teams have come, some teams have gone. First team that pops to my mind is Jaguar that eventually turned into Red Bull. Um, I mean, Red Bull bought Jaguar for a dollar. That's how unsuccessful these guys were. They were a bunch of, it was a gimmick team uh, from my point of view. And this is the type of team that the FIA does not want. And it also helps. I mean, it evens out the playing field a little bit more. Now, this would also bring the total grid number of cars up from 20 to 22. Now, is this too many cars? Is this not enough cars? And this is not just saying that we're going to get one additional team in Formula One. There has actually been no um, outline as to how many teams that the FIA is willing to accept. So this could be two teams. This could be four teams. I doubt it's going to be four teams. I'm thinking one, two at the absolute max. Now, the deadline for all of this to be done and dusted and for the teams to potentially be on the grid could be as early as the 2024-2025 season. Actually, the 24 season or 25 season. This 
really make sure that whoever enters this establishment when they who, when they enter the application process that you definitely have to have your ducks in a row from the beginning you have to know where your money's coming from you have to know that your money your cash flow is going to be consistent from start to finish that you're not going to miss payments that you're going to be able to keep up with the rest of the teams the budget cap definitely helps new teams coming in i mean it's 138.4 million this coming up season for the 2023 down from the 148 that they had this season so it makes it an easier uh, business decision for the guys that have the money to be in formula one to be like okay so we're not spending a half a billion dollars there is a cap that everybody has to adhere to it will be an easier playing field it's still not going to be easy for the entering teams because they are starting so far behind everybody else technology wise and just getting used to the schedule with 23 or 24 races but it does even the playing field a little bit which makes it a little bit more enticing for you know corporations that are serious about entering formula one Rumor has it there are five teams, five corporate corporations, and five businessmen that are definitely interested in this opportunity. Now, they all have the same opportunity to get in. They also all have to follow the same rules. One of which, uh, two of them, actually, we haven't had a whole lot of information. There has been rumors that there is a Russian uh, conglomerate that wants to get into Formula One. Now, in my opinion, just for the political atmosphere these days and what's still going on between the Russian and the Ukrainian war and all those kind of politics. I do believe that that organization will have the least favorable opportunity to get in. It just would not be a good look for the formula one corporation for the FIA to have a Russian team, full fledged Russian team in formula one. It's just, it's a lot of politics that's involved. And we all know if it's not on the racetrack, politics are the biggest thing that the FIA and the F1 has to deal with. So I do believe that they would have the uh, furthest success rate. Uh, the other one would be a Chinese corporation following on the heels of Joe Guan Yu being the first Chinese driver. He won rookie of the year. This is definitely a business venture that a lot of Chinese conglomerates want to get into. They want to get their name out there. And they want to show what they can do with the European and the Western world. They have a very, very good shot. Now, we don't know who this corporation or who this person is yet. Um, they've definitely stayed in the in the background so far. There's also been a couple of interests from a couple of Swedish corporations. Uh, they would have a fantastic history. There's been a lot of Swedish drivers. I mean, Salba is from Zurich, Switzerland. So, you know, there's a definitely history in F1 from Switzerland. But the main... The main team and the main voice and the loudest voice and the big face for the newest potential team for Formula One definitely has to be the Andretti Corporation. Now, we had mentioned them throughout the season, and they've been making a lot of noise, as you know, most American race teams like to do this season and last season, how Andretti definitely wanted to be to get into the sport. They tried to buy Alfred Tari, which failed. They also tried to buy Salba, but they got outbid and essentially rejected when Audi came in and bought Salba instead. So what Audi or what um, Andretti was saying is that he'd be fantastic for the sport. He would bring in American viewers, American money, blah, blah, blah. And essentially the entire F1 community just kind of looked at him going, and you're just, you're a loud mouth. You're blowing a lot of smoke. Yeah, you're an IndyCar. You've been around the North American race world forever. 
uh, you, your dad, the family, they've got the history there, but we just don't believe that you're that serious about getting into Formula One. I mean, it's one thing to buy a team that's financially struggling and potentially not around for the next couple of years. It's a whole different thing to you know start your own team, essentially. So what Andretti did is, you know, it's essentially it's time to put your money where your mouth is. All the paperwork's already filled out. He's good to go. But he just needed to show that extra bit of muscle that, yeah, we're serious. This is what we're doing. And we are making a promise that we're not going to be a flash in the pan. We're here for the long run. We've got the backing and we're serious about this. Well, Andretti definitely did that when the Andretti Corporation announced that their other main engine supplier, constructor, uh, partner, and all that kind of stuff was GM. And not only General Motors, but the Cadillac edition of GM. The, the extension of, of GM. And this really put an exclamation mark on the statement that Andretti really wants to be in Formula One. He's serious about this. He's got the money, his application's in, and this is a serious enough bid and a serious enough statement that he's got a lot of the F1 teams looking at him now as a legitimate potential constructor in the sport. Now, they would be running a Renault engine for the first couple of seasons until the GM factories and the Andretti Corporation can get together and just fully be in there to develop their own engines and become a 100% their own constructor. But everything else would be built in the U.S. This is going to be Formula One's very first U.S. home-based team if they're accepted in for the 2024 or 2025 season. Now, some guys absolutely love this. They're welcoming it. They're welcome the extra exposure in the U.S. There's been some names flying around on who potentially would be in this Cadillac Andretti team. Some people like Daniel Ricciardo. He loved the States. Uh... North Americans love Daniel Ricardo. He has admitted as such that he he feels at home there. Um, Austin is always his favorite weekend, so he's definitely a very good candidate to be the face of Cadillac Andretti. The next name that has come up, although I think this one's a little less realistic, would be Mick Schumacher. So, I mean, as we've talked about before, Mick Schumacher is the third driver for Mercedes. He's also been linked potentially as one of the drivers for Audi. So to see him potentially go to Andretti Cadillac, I don't think that's more, I don't think that's going to be a realistic expectation from him. I don't think it's going to be a realistic venture for him. Um, but those are just a couple names that have been tossed around. Uh, potentially Sebastian Vettel coming back for Cadillac Andretti as well, just because they are definitely moving forward in the more sustainable engine components and a lot more environmentally friendly uh, aspect of driving so really really putting ripples in the water Andretti knows what he means uh, but at the same time there's a lot there's a one major factor one major team that is not receptive to these guys joining Formula One I'll give you three guesses and two of which don't count it's Mercedes Mercedes has the luxury car Formula One race corner niche right now they're the only ones that do it ferrari has always been in formula one so they kind of have their own little corner to, to dominate where when mercedes came in all of a sudden everybody wanted to be on the mercedes car they wanted to put their sponsorship on the cars mercedes makes 60 million dollars a year just from sponsorship revenue for their cars now if all of a sudden you get an andretti cadillac that's going to take a massive massive bite out of the revenue for that team they're not necessarily worried about that 
Andretti's going to be faster on the track, that they're going to take attention away on the track from Mercedes. They're more worried about the pocketbooks that they're going to take the sponsors away from them. Total Wolf is a one-third owner of Mercedes F1 team. So that's essentially taking money out of his pocket. It's not like that he would miss it by any stretch of the imagination, but he's worried that the reputation of Mercedes is going to go downhill, that everyone's going to want to be on the new kid on the block. Throw as much sponsorship at Andretti Cadillac as you could possibly stand. Not only that, but it would also mean competition off the track in the regular car market, which not a lot of people think about, but on track and off track, Mercedes and Cadillac, they're still competitors in the world of cars, whether it's casual cars, luxury cars, or F1 cars, especially if they get in on this now, it's going to definitely be more of a head-to-head marketing battle, maybe not so much on the track for the first year or two, but it's definitely the marketing that Total Wolf is more concerned about. He's worried about his pocketbook. I personally think that this would be amazing for Formula One to get a brand new team from scratch, especially with Audi coming in. My only concern is take away another team that is financially struggling and it's drowning and realistically probably won't be around for another year or two or in a year or two probably won't be around, I should say. So Salba is getting bought by Audi. Okay, that secures Audi and that replaces one team for another. That's fine. Here's my other thought. Maybe it's time for the legacy and I'm going to catch a lot of flack from my listeners for this and this is definitely going to be a hot take of the episode and of the season but I'm saying maybe you let Williams go I know back in the day and I mean like the 80s back in the day they were inventing and innovating and they were winning title on top of title on top of title which is fantastic for the history of Williams but in the last five years Williams is only Williams racing in name They've been bought by a conglomerate who thinks it's a good investment, which is fair enough, but they still don't have the money to bring in the technical support and the innovation to do anything on track. They're that back marker of every race that you're happy when they finish. They're nowhere near the top 10 on a regular basis. Every once in a while, they're maybe 10th. They get one point. They get two points. Like They're always the bottom of the constructors and the drivers' championships. It's, it's a little embarrassing. So maybe the FIA should potentially look at, or maybe they have looked at it from this angle, that you bring in a brand new constructor who's excited they're going to bring new blood into the sport, which is always welcome for any sport. And then maybe, you know, one or two teams that, you know, haven't been successful for a very, very long time, and they're just bleeding money, and they're... A little bit of an embarrassment to the modern day F1. Maybe it's time for some of those teams to go and we come back to 10 teams instead of 11. Or maybe we add two more teams and then we go down to 11 from 13. Something along that line. Maybe maybe that's what they've been thinking about. Maybe that's the turn that, or maybe it's the influence and the right direction that Formula One needs to go in. That is our hot topic. I'm super excited for this. I can't wait for the continuing drama to come out. You know this is going to be a long, drawn-out affair, but in a good way. Any update about this is definitely going to be a good thing because then we can figure out who the other teams are. There's been speculation that maybe Lotus is going to come back as a full independent constructor. Um, I think this is a slightly bad idea for Lotus. I think they still need a couple of years in development in other racing categories, potentially um, Formula E or maybe the Academy, 
or you know formula two maybe indycar like start start a little bit lower you don't necessarily have to jump in in the deep end with the big boys to put your name out there lotus has been around for a while they have dabbled in formula one but they really haven't dabbled any time recently so i think i mean lotus is always a potential but i really think that the odds are in andretti and cadillac's favor they will be dominant it will be a fantastic idea and it's a good business idea so this is where we come back to cash is king. I think it's a fantastic business idea for the majority of the 10 teams that are in Formula One now to vote Andretti and Cadillac in. They don't need all 10 teams. They just need a majority. So six or higher and you're set to go. And this is definitely not a situation where you abstain from voting. You definitely need to voice your opinion on this one, whether it's good or bad, and you bring your concerns and it's only going to be better for Formula One. So that is the hot topics for this week. Let's move into the next episode of the History of Formula One. Team number two that we're going to be covering in the history of F1 is going to be Audi. No, no, my bad. That is BMW Salba. Or is that Alfa Romeo? Or is that now Salba F1? That's the kind of team and confusing history that we're going to cover today. Salba F1, as they are known now, based in Zurich, Switzerland, founded in 1970. Founder, Peter Salva. I love it. Personally, I love it when founders name the teams after themselves. I think it's just the most badass thing that you could possibly do. Salva is officially one of those teams that mid-grid team, they try their hardest, but nobody really wants them. Nobody really wants to help them, and they're just kind of being passed along through the generations, but we'll get to that in a minute. Andreas Seidel is the new CEO coming from McLaren F1 team. Congratulations to Salva. Uh, Andreas Seidel is definitely going to bring a lot of consistency and a new way of looking at Formula One to this team, which is sorely, sorely needed. First appearance was in 1993 in the South African Grand Prix. Comparing Mercedes, comparing Salva to Mercedes, because they were the first team that we did in the history of F1, it, this is going to seem really, really unfair. Salva itself, race entries, 465. Race starts, 462. Now, for a mid to lower grid team, that is a fantastic stat. Anybody who knows anything about cars, vehicles in general, know that on a good day, the car starts and goes from A to B that you need it to at the speed that you need it to. Now, take into consideration that it's an F1 car, that there's, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of pieces in that vehicle itself. For them to only have missed three starts in their entire history is fantastic. Uh, Podiums, 27. Points, 865. Fastest laps, 5. Their drivers for the 2022 and now 2023 season are Valtteri Bottas and the 2022 Rookie of the Year, Joe Guan Yu. Those stats in and of itself 100% state that they are a mid-grid team. That they are trying their hardest, which is going to be a recurring theme throughout this episode. And these guys do have successful numbers and they do have some stats that are amazing to hear. But they never really did it by themselves or on their own up until the 2020 or the 2018 season. Uh, normally, an engine supplier for this team, you would have one or two suppliers. Mercedes, Ferrari, and Red Bull being the exceptions rather than the rules. These guys had one or two unless they supplied their own engines. But over the years with Salba, they've had Mercedes, Ford, BMW, Ferrari, and now they produce their own engines themselves. Even for a team with as short a history as from the 1970s, and yes, that is 
you know, in F1 terms, that is kind of a relatively short lifespan. I can't see the reason why they went through so many engine providers. The only reason that I can come up with is that Ferrari, especially Ferrari and Mercedes, were coming up with new innovations that they weren't quite sure would be successful for their own vehicles. So they did one to two year partnerships with Salba, and then they just see if it works. And then in comes BMW. BMW is a fantastic uh, automotive provider. They have fantastic luxury cars, sports cars, but a bit of a flash in the pan in Formula One. Thankfully for Salba, the flash in the pan was with them because that was those were the most two most successful seasons that Salba had. Constructors' Championships, zero. Uh, drivers' Championships, zero. Going back to the Constructors, they did have some pretty good years. 1997, they got third when BMW was bought them. Then in 2008, they got second again when BMW owned them. Peter Salba had sold 66.6% of Salba F1 to BMW. By that time, they were now officially known as BMW Salba. BMW, I, they should have stuck around in my opinion. They should have hung around for longer than they did because they were killing it. I mean, second and third in the constructors. And the team that's the best the team's ever done. Uh, they've got one Grand Prix victory again when BMW owned them in 2008, and it was the Canadian Grand Prix. From then on out, they're lucky if they hit the top 10. And we're talking, doesn't matter the generation, doesn't matter the drivers, doesn't matter the weather. These guys are not generally getting top 10s. If they are, you're talking eighth and lower, so they're just squeaking in. That's thanks to Valtteri Bottas, and that's also thanks to the Rookie of the Year, Joe Guan Yu. They've cracked out the most points in recent years. And personally, what I think Salo was missing was, and still is, consistency. Some of their past part team partners were talking Mercedes from 1993 to 1994, and then Red Bull Ford from 95 to 96, and then Patronus Engineering from 97 to 2005. Now, if Patronus sounds familiar, that is because they are the number one title partnership with Mercedes. They, again, they kind of figured out what they needed to do with Salba. They figured out that it wasn't worth their time when it came to hanging around with Salba. And then they went to Mercedes and then just have been absolutely killing it from then on out. Now, you would think that once BMW left, because they were a major partnership and they were the factory team from 2006 to 2009 that Salba wouldn't exist anymore. Well, BMW did the very smart decision and they sold the team back to the owner, Peter Salba. Now, no matter how many times I've looked, where I've looked, how long I've looked, no matter who I've asked, there's absolutely no numbers on what BMW bought it for and there's absolutely no numbers on what they sold it for. But I'm thinking that it's kind of a wash for both BMW and the former owner of Salba, it was just, it wasn't working out. They did three great years together. They almost won the constructors twice. And that was pretty much it. You don't see BMW in any significant capacity since 2009, uh, if at all. A few branding sponsorships here and there, but no engine creation and no major development for any other team. So getting back on track, BMW factory team, 2006 to 2009. Now, BMW, like I just said, sold their majority shares back to Peter Salba, where Salba became an independent from 2010 to 2018. 
Now, when I say independent, they were not considered a constructor still because from 2010 to 2017, they were still using Ferrari engines. Now, this is the most consistent engine, arguably, on the grid. Fantastic idea from Salba to stick with them until they were actually ready to bring their own engines out. Uh, Mid-2016, now this is where it kind of gets a little, a little sad or a little ominous for Salba. Uh, Mid-2016, the team itself again is sold, but this time it's sold to a Swiss law firm called Longbow Finance. From here on out, Salba is just the name on the car itself. They are a shell of them former selves. Um, it's just a toss back here and there. Like it's, it's a team that nobody wants. It's a team that's a very cheap investment, I'm sure, at this point. It's been bought and sold so many times. Uh, still using Ferrari engines all the way up until 2018 where Alfa Romeo comes in. They are now the official title sponsor in name, but it gives Salva enough money where they can develop their own engines, which is fantastic. And they've been using their own built engines from 2018 up until right now. But then comes the question, well, they've got Alfa Romeo as a brand new sponsor. Why aren't they using Alfa Romeo provided like engines? Why isn't Alfa Romeo building the engines for Salva? It is because Alfa Romeo was intended on, what should I say, being the only team sponsor that Salba could actually have. So by that I mean, would they put in so much money that that's why they put in so much money and so much media attention to the team, that's all they wanted. When you looked at the car, all you saw was Alfa Romeo, the white with the massive logo on the side, and that was pretty much it. Alfa Romeo gave money, but they didn't give any technical support. They didn't give any innovation or anything like that, which is unfortunate for Salba. But at the same time, it wasn't exactly a hollow partnership. They did get the money to develop their own engines, which was fantastic, which has brought them officially into the modern era of Formula One, I guess you could say. Sixth in the constructors last season, right behind. Well, I shouldn't say right behind, but they were behind McLaren. Um, Salba finished with 55 points. McLaren finished with 148. I mean, a 90-point difference. You would think with the innovation and the time they've had with their own engine development and their own parts that they would be able to do just a little bit more than what they were able to. Fast forward, 2026. Salba is officially sold one more time, but this time I don't think there's any... There's no coming back from this. In 2026, Audi will be taking over Salba F1. Now, we're not just talking about slapping the Audi name on there and the logo. We're talking about Audi full factory team from start to finish, from top to bottom. This will be an Audi works team. Salba will officially not exist in the Formula One world past 2026. I think with the history of this car and how many partners it's had and how many engine suppliers and the lack of points that it's been, it's been a bit of a miracle that Salva's lasted as long as they have with the partnerships that they've had. The writing was on the wall when they were sold mid 2016 and just the partners saw it as, you know, a cash grab, a money, a money fix. As it were, it's unfortunate to see from a team that's been around since the 70s, but, I mean, progress is progress. What I do see, now I'm going to get into a little bit of predictions here before we get into how Salva names their cars, so bear with me. Here's my prediction for Salva from now 
until 2026. They brought in Andreas Seidel from McLaren. They've got the rookie of the year in Joe Guan Yu for a driver. They've got the veteran Valtteri Bottas as the other driver. I see the combination of those three, and there's been rumors that Andreas Seidel is going to try to bring over Lando Norris from McLaren when his contract's up in 2024, that you're going to see a team that in the history that it's been around has never worked so hard to impress so many people. Because just like in any other business, when one team sees, when one company ceases to exist because they're taken over by another team, that people will lose their jobs. It's it's just how it goes. It's it's the way of the world. It's the way of business and sport. I'm I see these guys just grind nose to the grindstone, just pushing that technological limit that they've had with the budget that they've got, and they are going to be a team to reckon with from now until 2026 because everybody wants to keep their job from the drivers to the CEO, to the team principal, to the dude that cleans the cafeteria, to the guy that polishes the cars and everybody in between, everyone's going to want to keep their job and not be replaced. Salva has done a very good job in setting themselves up as to be a successful constructors team for the next couple of years. It is just up to them now to prove that there should be on the grid and that they should stick around, and that these guys need to keep should keep their jobs when Audi comes in in 2026. So I see them getting fifth in the Constructors Series next year. I do see them leapfrogging McLaren. I know it's a 90-point difference, and that is a huge difference. But when your job is on the line in less than three years where you could absolutely 100% be out of a job, and we're talking hundreds of people when the takeover happens, You'd be surprised on what people can come up with and how deep they can dig to find inspiration and the confidence they need to succeed. So let's move. That's enough of that. Let's move on to the names. As I had covered with BMW, uh, the W13 or the W14, however you want to say, or whichever number you want to say, we're doing the same thing with Salba. So Salba's car this year will be known as the C42. So one part is very straightforward and slightly romantic in the automotive world. And the other half makes absolutely no sense. And I mean no sense whatsoever. So the C in C42 stands for Christine. Christine is the name of Peter Salva's wife when he first founded the team in 1970. And that C has withstood all of the buying and selling from the 70s up until the current time. Now, like I said before, the C I'm assuming and will probably not exist after 2026 when Audi comes in. But it's nice to see that the classification of the car hasn't changed since the inception of the team. Now, 42. Now, you would think when you hear 42 that they've done 42 different versions of the car, which doesn't make sense because they've only been around since 1993. And even if you do the math, that math is so off, it's ridiculous, it hurts your head. But the more confusing part is, is that in 1993, when Salva first came into Formula One, they called it the C13. Which, I mean, to me, tells me that they did 13 different versions of the car before the Formula One rendition came out that they approved of, that they liked. But now we're up to C42. And that's, that math doesn't make sense either. So even if you go along and just go 1, 2, 3, and you do your math, it should be at C30, not 42. So where did the other 12 numbers come from? And thrown into the mix in 2021 they were c41 
And then the new regulations came along and a bunch of stuff changed and the cost cap and all that kind of fun stuff. And instead of Salvo going to C42 then, they backtracked and the 2022 car was called the C40. Now, in all my research, and I've done a deep dive on this and all of my contacts and research and time and frustration, I can't find out or understand why they went back a year and now 2023's car is called the C42. So all you fans out there, and if there's any Salba or Alfa Romeo fans out there, please, please, if you know the answer to this, my God, please let me know why it's called the C42 and not the C, what would be 31 instead of the 42. Please, God, let me know. But that kind of, that mathematical error just kind of sums up the history of Salba. It's they're themselves, but they're not. They're a shell of themselves, and they're not going to exist. They just keep getting passed on and on and on and on where you don't know who owns what. And I'm sure at some point some of these employees didn't know which way was up and which way was down. But, hey, as long as you stay in the sport from the 70s until now, who am I to argue? These guys are still in Formula One, and I'm podcasting on Formula One. So I can't throw too many stones. But that there... Wonderful, wonderful F1 fans out there is the very convoluted and math-heavy history of Salba F1. Join me for the next episode where we cover the 100% very history-filled French team, and we all know them as the Alpine F1. <laughs>